Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Ag Emerge podcast. LaRon Brish, the CEO of FarmDog, is our guest today. FarmDog provides digital pest and disease management solutions for growers, agronomists, and extension agents across 1.5 million acres. In addition to being FarmDog's CEO, LaRon serves on the California Department of Agriculture Grant Review Board and on the advisory board of the IPIPE, Integrated Pest Management Initiative. He's a partner in Farm to Fork Restaurants in Texas, and he's a proud Tex Raley. That's a Texan Israeli. Laron was one of our presenters in the Ag Emerge Entrepreneur Emerging Tech Showcase. The showcase part of the Ag Emerge event is a way for those in ag tech to present to and meet with growers, exploring with them ways the growers can achieve goals of sustainability, profitability, and improving soil health. Farm Dog won the Most Likely to Improve Farm Profitability Award at this year's event. So we're excited to have LaRon here with us today. LaRon, welcome. You know, we always like to start with your story. What brought you to this spot where you're at here today? Perfect. Thank you for having me, Kim and Monty. Um, real pleasure uh, to, to do so and always an honor to, to get to speak with folks on the agricultural side and not just folks on the technology side. So it's, uh, I, I very much enjoy that. So my quick background is I... You know, if I take a step back and go two generations back in my family, there's the agricultural background there. So my grandfather uh, owned ranch land in Ukraine pre-World War II, met my grandmother at a corn mill post-World War II. My grandparents on my mom's side had a butcher shop in Tel Aviv in Israel. And my mom tells stories of going out to the country and speaking with the, with the farmers and ranchers to, to select the product. But then it skipped a generation. Uh, my parents uh, come from the software side, from the architectural side, and I myself, I was born in Israel but grew up in Texas, and oftentimes when I speak with people, they're like, oh, Texas, you must be, you must have grown up on a farm. No, I grew up in Austin, Texas, um, and, and I was just visiting there this past weekend uh, for a variety of reasons, and it's funny, I remember folks, even growing up, we'd go visit Israel and folks would say, oh, you know, you, do you ride a horse, to, a horse to school? And the answer was no, you know, we lived in Austin, but there was, you know, it's a, we lived in one of those suburbs that 20 years ago was ranch land. So when you come in there, there actually were horses. And, and I had this flashback driving by there because the horses obviously are no longer there. Um, and so, that, that's kind of the long, the long windup to I grew up in Texas. I did not grow up on a farm or a ranch. My background is actually I studied finance at the University of Texas. Um, after that, I went and studied law at New York University up in New York and never worked as a banker, never worked as a lawyer. Um, after, <laughs> after studying law, I went into management consulting at a, at a large international company called McKinsey. And so with, they've got offices around the world. I started working there in 2008, and about two weeks after I started working there, basically that was when the economy completely collapsed. And so the first nine months or so of my, of my job was working with banks on post-merger management. This is when a bunch of banks were buying up other banks for little to no money, um, credit risk management, things that, you know, in an economic uh, recession, uh, you basically have to do, but nobody really enjoys doing it. <laughs> Everybody hates the consultants that are there. The consultants, you know, I at least didn't find uh, any pleasure in it. And so I went to, to the folks that we were kind of, we have staffing coordinators and said, hey guys, y'all need to help me out because I'm, I'm not feeling this anymore. I want to go to the technology side. And so I worked on smartphone technology um, in around 2009, 2010. And this was at the time, this was around the iPhone 3 before the iPad even came out. And we were working with one of the largest smartphone uh, manufacturers. And the big open question still was, what's going to happen with mobile technology? 
is this a fad? First of all, you know, is, is, is everybody going to have a smartphone or is everybody going to go back to a future phone? Two, is touch technology going to be the, the form factor in which we actually interact with our, with our devices? And then the third one was just kind of what, you know, is it going to be glass? Is it going to be plastic, right? So a lot of, a lot of very uh, kind of details on that aspect. And so the beauty of that project was it really forced us to think about where mobile technology is going to go how it's going to affect a bunch of, you know, not a bunch, all the industries, essentially. And, you know, I'll be fully transparent. At the time, agriculture did not land on that list, right? Um, this I was going to ask the, what year that was, approximately. This was, yeah, this was 2009, I believe, 2009 or 2010. Hmm. Um, agriculture was not on that list. The list was still very you know, consumer heavy, you're going to go to the, to the, to the movies and you're going to be able to order your ticket on a big screen and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but it, it really opened my eyes to, okay, this thing is going to be, is going to enable a lot of stuff outside of just, you know, playing, playing a game or playing, uh, playing music on your phone. Mm-hmm. Halfway through the project, the iPad came out and that really just shook up everything that we were doing as you can imagine sure. every you know every every forecast we had we had to add it and multiply it so that allowed me to to see where technology is going to lead the next step actually in my consulting world which is really the the key touch point for me in coming back to agriculture was working with grocery store chains around the world on their fruit and vegetable supply chain Excellent. and we were working with grocery store chains that were throwing out nearly 20% of what was coming through the door. So one out of every five apples to the trash or disappeared or whatever it may be, as you can imagine, aside from the sustainability aspect that was affecting their bottom line incredibly. Um, And so they brought us in and that was, it was really interesting because it forced me to take a holistic view of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. We worked with the grower all the way to the end consumer to figure out what we can fix. And so for example, you know, We'd go and speak with the growers and I'd say, hey, we'd love to provide only good quality fruit and vegetables to the grocery store chains, but they change their order 24 hours before we have to supply them and they add another ton of apples or tomatoes. And so what are we to do? All we have is to be able to send them the bad stuff that we weren't expecting to send anybody. Um, in the store, it was adding a technology, just, you know, at the end of a simple technology and how to order and how much to order. So before we came in, you'd have the, the produce manager just ordering based off of a whim, thinking, oh, it's Wednesday and I'm in a good mood or a bad mood. Let me order this much. We put in order, ordering algorithms that took into account um, expected sales and then also spoke with the spoke with end consumers. And so by doing that, we were able to reduce in some of these grocery store chains that, that waste from 20% to 5%. And for me, the learning there was really, okay, this is, it's a holistic point of view. It's, you know, you, if you have a touch solution here and there, there are so many parameters in the agriculture supply chain that need to be taken into account um, for you to do this right. And over time that the way I think about supply chain has actually expanded, right? Back then I was thinking, okay, the grower says that order needs to be done better, but over the years, okay, what, what is affecting the grower? What is affecting the growing practices of the grower that allows him or her to supply a quality product, not just today, not just tomorrow, but over a longer, a longer term, right? Thinking about it in an agricultural timeframe, years, not, not days or weeks. Um, so after, after I left, after I left McKinsey, uh, left McKinsey because I was tired of consulting for folks. I wanted the problem to be my own problem. And as I tell many people, some, many days I regret that, <laughs> um, but, but I love it never, nevertheless. And at a certain point, founded a, founded a drone company um, that would follow you when you rode your bike or ran around in action sports. Okay. Um, it would videotape you. And then that, that's actually surprisingly is what led me to FarmDog. Um, so that, that's a long winding road um, to get to FarmDog. Um, started looking at drone solutions for agriculture and this was in 2015 or so Um, at the time drones and agriculture really were just pretty pictures Um, realized we spoke with growers and agronomists realized at least back then that wasn't the right direction to go and 
this is 2015 or 16. I was based in Israel at the time. In Israel, there was always a drought. We were speaking with growers there, and we also started speaking with growers in California, where 2015-16, that was at the height of the extreme drought that was going on, and folks pushed us to, to help them out with irrigation management. And that's actually how we founded FarmDog. FarmDog was founded as a soil moisture sensor company um, back in 2015. Long-term vision there, like many sensor companies, put sensors in your field, collect a bunch of data. Eventually, our insights will help you irrigate in a more informed way. And that was my real introduction to, to agriculture. Um, you know, I, I think, Monty, you and I, I don't even know if you remember this because I, I was such a, you know, a deer in the headlights sort of person at the first Forbes conference in like 2016 or so, um, just trying to get a gauge of who everybody is. And, you know, it was one of those where I just kind of threw myself into the deep end to, to understand what was going on in the industry. And within a few months, learned a few things which really led me to where FarmDog is today. Today, FarmDog is software, manage, software for pest and disease management. But the way we got here was, was a few things. I think one of my first main learnings was to separate the, the hype in ag tech um, from investors, from you know, the tech publications, with the reality of what growers and agronomists actually need on the ground. Um, to me, that was a key learning. Uh, you know, many of the conferences that I go to, they're, they're great when you speak with investors, but you look around the room and there's no farmer, there's no agronomist. And that voice, you know, that's the voice of the user. <laughs> it always amazes me that that voice is, is missing so considerably. Um, the second big thing that we learned, which aligns with that, is, you know, that, this is kind of a, this is a big learning for any company or any product. You got to have a day one value proposition, right? Um, with the sensors, the long term vision was you know, long term. Yes, great, we'll help you irrigate. But growers looked at us and said, "What do I get today?" Because the today answer was, "Hey, you can pay us to put these sensors in your field. We'll give you some numbers. What do the numbers mean?" I don't know. <laughs> is is fifteen percent soil moisture good? Is it bad? Does that mean you should irrigate? Very unclear. And so growers said to us, you know, we great long term vision. Come back to us when you can actually <laughs> do that, or we can give us a day one value prop, right? And it was it was this very, you know, I I, I think that was also a separation between ag tech hype and and reality on the ground where. You know, we, we know the challenges, the financial challenges growers face, face day to day. We know the environmental challenges. There's going to be a few of these very early, early, early adopters that will buy in and, and help you get to your long-term vision. But at the end of the day, most growers have, you know, have expenses to pay, have payroll, have to purchase your inputs. Um, and so you got to give them a day one value prop. Um, and so that was a huge learning for us. Um, and so that there's a few other there's a few other learning specific to soil moisture sensors, but what this caused us is to is to take a step back. At that point, we'd actually raised a little bit of money, um, had most of it left over, and go back to our growers and agronomists and say, "Hey guys, help us help you." Um, that's where we got to pest and disease management, and there that day one value prop is. You know, we looked at many growers who were dealing with pest and disease, still using pen and paper. It's a very you know it's a very simple analog to digital day one value proposition because we're going to save them time we're going to improve their communication while at the same time that allowed us allows us to build towards that long-term vision which is to help to help growers use less pesticide um, to maintain their yields and promote environmental sustainability and over the last few years take those that kind of rolls up into the greater regenerative agriculture um, you know buzzword that that folks that folks believe in today um, and that a lot that takes in a lot of inputs from the pest from the pesticide side, from the fertilizer side, uh, but really that's that's the very long story on how I got to where I am today. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us, and uh, we've got a lot to unpack there. Um, so first off, kudos to you for for not being a lawyer or an investment banker. You <laughs> Thank know. you. Uh, I don't know many people that that really look forward to. Uh, working with either one of them so <laughs> you uh you definitely uh, moved up on on the uh, uh, 
careers and opportunities that people want to work with and enjoy. So, but uh, yeah, it's quite a path to, to where you are today. But I, I think that's great because it, it shows you really a holistic view of, uh, of a farmer's business, you know, yes. as far as, you know, what all they're, they're looking at operationally speaking, process speaking, but uh, just that realization of one of my favorite things that you said in discussion with me at Ag Emerge is your frustration with the ag tech world is it's so many people that have a solution and they're looking for a problem. Yeah. And I, boy, we share that mutual. Uh, and, and really that's kind of what you were saying with the moisture probes is that, Hey, we got this great widget and we can tell you a number. Okay. But um, there you go. Uh, does that solve a problem for you? Good luck. Yeah. You know. Yep. So that's that's a, that's a real challenge in the industry. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that mentality of that solution looking for a problem, and and really, don't you think that's eighty percent of the ag tech world, or at least it used to be maybe a year or two ago? Uh, yeah. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start from from the second half of your question, where I think that I think the industry's actually gotten much 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 better. Um, if you looked at websites four or five years ago in the ag tech world, the amazing thing is, I don't, know, I don't know if you'll remember, but you'd go to a website of a company that's been around for a month and it'd say, we're going to increase your yields 25% and reduce your input cost by 30%, right? Just complete, complete Silicon Valley hubris. And, you know, I'll be honest, we were guilty of that as well. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. Uh, Throw something at the wall and see what sticks, right? Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, we were guilty of that as well. And we were pushed towards that basically by the hype cycle created by the industry itself. The reason being is we would go try to raise money for the company. And, you know, let's be honest, most investors, especially a few years ago, don't know much about agriculture. And they they would have met with the with the company a few weeks before they met with us and that company would come in and say we've got this great solution that's going to increase yields by 30 percent and investors would take that as you know as, as truth like you know there, there's always a little bit of hubris no matter what not hubris but there's always a little bit of exaggeration no matter what industry you're in right but even add that discount to that natural discount and investors would say, farm dog, why, why are you not yet telling people that you can save this and improve that? And, you know, we made that mistake in the beginning where we over leveraged on that side. And then when we'd go speak with growers, they'd look at the website and say, what do you mean you can reduce my irrigation by 25%? How long have you been around? So, oh, well, you know, we, we founded the company and we've got this great technology and say, how long have you been around? <laughs> and it was, you know, it, it was very, you know, you, you got your ass kicked a little bit. Um, I, I, you know, uh, um, you, you learn very quickly. Growers are, are very honest and they will tell you what they believe right away because they don't have time to sit around and, and, and BS with you. And so that taught us very quickly. And luckily for us, we were able to, we were able to fix that. We, we learned um, we were able to fix what's going on. And I think many companies were not able to fix that. And so now I would say we're, in, I think it's, I would almost say the third generation of ag tech companies. And I think we're the folks that are still around today or the folks coming up today are just much more honest with the realities of the industry. Right. And so, you know, when I speak, when, when you, when you speak at a conference or you hear, an ag tech company, you know, in the, in the technology newspaper versus what they said at, at an agricultural conference, it's just night and day between what's going on. And so I think the industry has gotten, has gotten much, much better. Um, you know, in the beginning, really, what we, what we realized, it was almost school of hard knocks because we, you know, interestingly enough, we actually started, tried to start in California. And the reason, you know, your question was why, do, why did ag tech start this way? And you know, everybody's heard the Climate Corporation story, right? Climate was purchased for about a little bit less than a billion dollars with, I think, less than like $100 in revenue. Uh, you know, I'm slightly exaggerating, but, you know, so everybody said, okay, this is the next big thing, right? Let's all, let's all move to that, to that world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, the, the good thing about it is that 
I think a lot of that movement came from, I'll call it a good heart, if you will, where a bunch of technology folks were tired of using their brains to optimize um, advertisement clicks by 0.01% and said, okay, we want to work on something that's, you know, something, something for the greater good, whether it's agriculture, yeah. education, health, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But folks really underestimated the challenges that you have in agriculture. And honestly, I still see it a little bit today from some of the bigger players when they announced, hey, we're going to have this agriculture solution, right? And I won't name names. Um, So a lot of of really smart people said, hey, let's take this computer vision technology, this machine learning technology, apply it to agriculture. And, you know, in and out within a year, we're going to solve all of the world's problems and we're going to be sustainable and and regenerative and all the, you know, all these things that, that the words didn't exist back then. And too many growers got burned, right? As you can imagine, especially in California. When we first started off, we couldn't even get people on the phone to talk to us because they said, we don't want to talk to tech companies. Oh, another one of these Silicon Valley people that thinks exactly. they know everything, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, the first, so the first trip that we had out to California, um, we actually, we paid to go on farm tours so that we could actually get, a, uh, get an audience with some farmers and ask them during the farm tour about what we're doing. So it was, you know, it was, I think it was, it was good and mostly good intentions, but without the, without the, the harsh realities of agriculture baked into the go-to-market and the way that folks interacted with, with farmers. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned, Laurent, was a value prop, okay, for us in the entrepreneurial or ag tech space. Uh, we know what that means. Um, you want to dive into that just a little bit more to bring some clarity to that for everybody who's listening. What, what is a value proposition and, and those kind of things? Of course. Um, I guess the simplest way to put it is if my client pays me a dollar, I better give that person at least a dollar and a cent worth of value. <laughs> that's, I guess that's the, that's a simplified version of it. Um, so it's you know, a, a product or service that is uh, creating more value uh, for the customer than than uh, for the company that's providing it. And then the other thing is the higher that ratio can be of value received by the customer to the value charged by the company providing it, then the, the, the greater the opportunity for growth and expansion and adoption. Exactly. That, that, sh- that so. should go in, a, in an Economics 101 book, <laughs> the way you the sure. way you describe that. Um, and well, I think it's just, uh, you know, for everybody else, we think, oh, your value proposition would be oh, your product or service, you know, yeah. or your value for our service, how it's used within the system or the context of the customer's need. Yeah. So. And I, I think that the key for us is a few things. One is that value proposition can obviously come from a lot of different factors, right? Time savings is one reduced inputs is another one. Um, better marketing and branding is another, right. It can come from a lot of aspects and the other aspect, I think, especially in agriculture, but in most industries is it doesn't matter how you bring that value proposition, right? If I could accomplish everything that I'm setting out to accomplish by, by writing a note on a napkin and giving that to a grower, you know, who cares? I, we created value, right? It just so happens that we're doing it from technology. And, and you know, talking about a solution, looking for a product, I think that's really what, what happened a lot in this space is folks had these great solutions with crazy technologies that either were, weren't providing any value despite the, the technology or they could be the value that they were providing could be built in a much easier to use way for the end consumer, for the end user. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's dive a little deeper into farm dog itself, as far as, you know, looking at, at what all it does, that value proposition that it brings to, to growers and, and consultants, PCAs and those, everybody that's related in the, in the pest and disease management arena. Um, what all that does and, and, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about comparing it to what else is out there on the market and how this solves a, a problem in a unique way. So tell us, tell us about farm dog and how that, how that works. Perfect. And thank you again for the opportunity to, to share what we do. Um, so the value proposition that we're, that we're providing with farm dog from a, from a day one perspective is saving our users time in the field improving communication amongst their teams so that team can be uh, colleagues, can be clients, whatever it may be, 
And then the third aspect is building out a digital data, data record of their field observations so that they can make more informed decision make, uh, decisions going forward. And the way we do that is FarmDog is a mobile and web-based platform. So by mobile, I mean just an app on your phone, whether it's Android or, I or iOS, um, with almost full offline uh, functionality. On the web aspect, it's just a dashboard that you can access on your computer. And the way it works at the simplest level is when you go out and you scout your field, you can very simply and easily enter information to FarmDog. So you don't have to write out long text. It's really just tapping, um, tapping on preformed uh, or pre-built observation forms, sending out a report with one click to whoever it may need to be. Um, so if you're an agronomist, if you're a, if you're a CPA, you don't have to drive to your, to your client's office. You don't have to call them from the field. You don't have to work really hard in the field and then go home to fill out a report. You can send everything out from the field. Um, full team functionality. Um, so if, if Kim, myself, and Monty are on the same team, all of our data is synced up. Uh, and so just to give you an example, one of our users down in Florida, it's a team about 30 or 40 agronomists, before FarmDog, at the end of their hard working day, everybody still had to drive another you know, 15, 20 miles to meet at a central point and talk about what they found in order to, to create a, a, a holistic recommendation for the grower. Uh, with FarmDog, now all that data is synced up in real time, and so no longer does everybody have to meet in the middle to get that information out. So that's, that's that day one value prop. Um, time savings improved communication. Very simple, um, very, very tangible, right? Where and as farms, and as farm, sorry to interrupt, but as farms grow, uh, that becomes more and more important because acres get spread out further and further. And, uh, you know, more team members, more complexity, or you might, somebody observe something, not know what's going on in field 62, and they can, they can bounce that over to, to somebody with a greater experience that can go look at that spot in field 62. So you get that, exactly. that real-time interaction to get faster responses to pest and disease because if you can stop it sooner uh, and make a corrective action sooner, then the ability to preserve crop yield is greater. Exactly. So, yeah, just the simple fact of speed on day one yep. uh, and, and ability to share intelligence um, yeah, makes it a makes it a valuable, uh, you know, set it up in a short amount of time, get to using it, and yeah, great return on investment right away. Right. So just very okay. simple time savings. Um, the very good. the next the next value proposition um, that we've rolled out in the last six months or so is taking that those field observations and and thinking about about that as one data layer but then pulling in additional data layers to help our users make that informed decision in the field, right? We, we've all heard many times from growers saying, hey, you know, I'll, I'll go with the positive aspect. There's lots of great solutions out there, but I don't wanna have a username and password for 20 different things and try to, try to connect the dots on my own. And so what we've done is pulled in additional data layers, um, whether it's imagery layers from some of our partners, um, soil layers, pesticide label layers, um, weather layers, et cetera, and have all that within FarmDog and really moving FarmDog from what it was a year ago, which was a scouting app into a digital pest management app. And the, you know, the term that, I, that I've adopted, we'll see if it, ca if it catches, is a digital IPM hub, um, where really all of your integrated pest management information is available to you in a digital way in one spot to help you make the, make the decision. So that's that's that next value proposition that we've recently rolled out and we continue to add additional data layers onto that. And again, that links into, that links into time savings, that links into empowering our users to make decisions. Um, at the end of the day, our users who are agronomists and growers, they're the ones out in the field. They're gonna know their fields a thousand times better than we ever will be able to because we're not there. We're not getting our hands dirty, our boots aren't muddy. Um, and so it's giving these folks uh, the data layers that they need to make the decision. So that's, that's that next level, level of value. So, so talk about those input layers and those input data streams that you have. Is that, uh, are you approaching it agnostic to where a farmer can, can pick and choose whoever they are and you have an API which can be integrated with anybody that they want? Or is there certain specific partners that you're partnering with to kind of pre-select for 
you know, quality and, and, and functionality? How, how do you approach the incoming data streams for those input decisions? Yeah, so great question. Initially, we've, we've partnered up with select partners. Some of them have reached out to us. Some of them we've re reached out to them. Um, so these include John Deere through their operations center. We've actually been working with Deere nearly four years. Um, we were, we were at, their, at their Develop with Deere conference three or four years ago. We were one of about 15 companies this past year and excuse me in st louis back in january we were i think there's like more than 100 companies there um so deer has been really really integral for us from an aerial imagery perspective we've integrated with geosys which is a satellite imagery company with teravion which is a plane imagery company um working on a few other working on a few other integrations um soil soil types from usda sergo and you know the second i say that i'm sure Folks kind of nod their head, but in their in their mind they say that's not helpful at all. Um, but but it is available on FarmDog. Um, <clears throat> pesticide labels. We're working with CDMS um, weather integration. So the first step for us really is to to choose other companies that we believe match the quality of what we're providing um, in terms of you know the the quality of the data, but also in terms of support right we don't want we don't want to just go around and 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 partner up with folks who will then potentially make our users experience with farm dog negative right we we can't so it, we need to match up with that so that's where we started off from um we do have though an, an api that we do share with some select some select folks on an uh kind of a project by project basis so for example we're working with the u.s department of agriculture um, down in Florida to push out regional pest and disease management. And <clears throat> what they've done is they've, they've collected a group of growers and agronomists in the area who are participating in this study. Um, basically, the long-term vision is Monty, Kim, and Laurent are all neighboring farmers, and we want to make, and we want on a regional level to reduce pesticide use and reduce resistance pressure and risk. And so pulling in the field observations from these folks and then creating a, a regional uh, pest management protocol, if you will, that helps everybody maintain their yields. Of course, we don't want to drop anybody's yields, but at the same time, making sure that we're not building a resistance. So we work with an API with them. So they're pulling data from our, from our database um, and pushing it to them. And so we do have that capability. Um, okay. we, don't, we don't want to open it up completely at this stage. We will eventually, we will soon, but at this stage we don't want to because there's still so there's things aren't standardized enough where where it makes it easy for us to do it if we could just turn on the spigot we would love to because while i would love all of our users to to view things on the farm dog platform they've got another platform or dashboard that they're using and that has a lot of other data layers who am i to force them to choose if you need your data and you need to see that somewhere else so that you can make your decision by all means, and that's really that's really the goal of what we're doing is to empower folks with their data to make decisions. So let's couple things. Just another one of those TLAs and definitions. We want to make sure everybody understands it. And a lot of people have probably heard API, knows it stands for something, kind of has an idea what that is. Uh, you want to help paint the picture a little bit on, on as far as what that is and how that works with in the software. Yeah. So API means application program interface. I'm sure that's not any more helpful to, to most folks. Really what it is, is a way for two, tech, two different software technologies to talk to each other and to, and to pull data. Um, and when I say pull data, I, this is gonna be one of those where I'm just gonna add the side note. We obviously don't share data with any other third party unless our user explicitly asks for or allows that. Um, just want to bring that up. We, we all know about different things that have happened in the space just in the last yeah. couple of weeks. That's a big deal. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so we, we definitely take that data privacy aspect very seriously, but once a user gives us the okay to do that, then it allows two different technologies to speak to each other. So I'll give the example of John Deere operations center. Um, they've got an API, we've got an API. When our user goes to his farm dog, to his or her farm dog dashboard, they tap a button that says import John Deere. What that does is it allows FarmDoc to speak to the John Deere software, and then we pull our users' fields out of John Deere Operations Center. And that's all being able, we can do that via an API. And the other direction, 
At the same time, the user gives us the, the authority to send their field observations back up to their John Deere Operation Center accounts that then they can see farm dog observations on their John Deere Operation Center account. So in um, farmer farmer speak, and when we're out there in the field hooking up stuff, it's similar to like the ISO bus protocol when we're hooking uh, one brand of equipment up to an, uh, another brand of equipment. So if we have a John Deere tractor and a, you know, Case IH planner in the, in the past, they wouldn't have, you know, played well with each other, but with ISO bus, you know, you can, they have a, a, a similar communication platform, but that's not quite exactly what API is, but it's a step closer to kind of universality or at least user functionality between yep. different software platforms. I really and like I, I think that's really, I think that's really important as far as when you look at the ability to import data streams, because, you know, you know, you're not going to generate any, any company is not going to generate all of the data sources, right? right? And then the output side, like you said, uh, you have the integration on the output side and, and you touched on it just a little bit there with the, the project, uh, maybe going a little bit on that output uh, and uh, describe that, but I eventually want the uh, hotspot and the, the trending that you're doing, I, I believe both in Florida and Arkansas, because that is huge value. Yep. and pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, and so that, that question also gets into to the long-term vision of what we're building out here. The long-term vision for us from a grower perspective is Grower Monty or Grower Kim come to their farm dog platform and we tell you, hey guys, watch out. In three days, you're gonna have a white fly outbreak. Your treatment options are A and B. The efficacy of those is 40% and 80% based off the market value of your crop and the cost of your treatment. Here's your return on investment on your different treatment options. You farmer, of course, decide because as I mentioned, we're not going to know everything, um, but it's a decision support system to help you get to that. Now, you know, of course, we're not there yet. Obviously, we're not there yet. That's where we want to be. Um, but some of those inputs or one of those inputs to, to that decision support system is understanding what's going on around you. And so that leads into the project that we're doing with, uh, with the USDA. So specifically, it's a USDA ARS down in Fort Pierce, Florida. And down there, they've been having lots of issues with, uh, with white flies on cucurbits, which are cucumbers, essentially. And, you know, issues with, with huge outbreaks, issues with resistance, issues with sustainability. Um, you know, similar, you know, similar story to, to, many other, to many other areas. And one of, the, one of the folks that we're working with out there um, him and his team had put together a model, essentially a, I'll call it like a, a danger zone model, if you will, where if you're in the field and your white flies are above a specific threshold, what danger are you to folks within a one mile radius, two mile radius, five mile radius around you? Which takes into account, of course, you know, how, how far these things can fly, um, how long they live, right? Uh, hold, hold on. White flies don't pay attention to, to the roads or the fences between it, farms. <laughs> it, it turns out, and that's remind me to, 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 tell, you a, uh, to tell you a story about. So, so uh, I'll go down this rabbit hole very quickly. About three years ago, we tried to push out a regional alert, um, really similar to what you see extension folks doing. And mm -hmm. there, the challenge there is the balance between privacy and actionability, right? Like if you knew exactly where white flies are, that'd be helpful to everybody. But then you're pointing the finger at Farmer Johnny and Farmer Johnny is not going to be very happy about that. At the same time, if you, if you aggregate really high, then what can you do with that as a farmer dealing with your fields? And so we, we pushed out a, a regional heat map on a countywide level in Florida. Now, counties in Florida can be like several hundred miles long, right? So you're sitting there in a county and we tell you white fly pressure has gone up. What do you do with that, <laughs> right? Um, and so we had that, that was live for about a year till, you know, we were like, all right, let's just take this down because this isn't helpful for, for anybody. Um, and so working with folks like USDA and working with Extension really allows us to, to figure out what is the balance between, between privacy and actionability, where nobody can point fingers, but it's still helpful to folks. Um, now, within that, of course, like you said, tur turns out white flies don't turn around when they get to the stop sign. Um, <laughs> and so 
what's what's beautiful about this algorithm that the folks at the USDA built is that it works on a radius perspective, right? And so now we can start to push to put in alerts based off the radius of where we find um, of where we find things, where field observations are found. Of course, taking into account, okay, if there's only you know two growers side by side, like okay, that even if even if it's anonymized and aggregated to a ten mile radius, everybody's going to know what's going on. And so the key there is really working folks like USDA to get the buy-in of growers to say, okay, in, in, in case of pest and disease, I'm not talking about which seed you're selecting. I'm not talking about thing, things that will really only affect your field. We're talking about things that's all ships sink, all ships rise aspect, right? Um, if we get resistance built up in one field, that's eventually going to spread out to other fields and means that we're just going to go down this downward spiral or more or folks using more pesticides and a thing called the pesticide treadmill where the more pesticides you use, the more resistance you get, which means the more pesticide you use and so on and so forth. Of course, that affects the health of soil. It affects everything in terms of this, this ecosystem. Um, and so really the idea there is if all three of us are our neighbors, tomorrow morning, Kim will get an alert that says, hey, Kim, treat with, treat with X. X may be biological, maybe chemical, maybe operational, maybe cultural. Monty, you treat with Y. Laurent, you don't treat or whatever it may be, right? And again, the goal is on a, on a regional level to, of course, maintain yields, but then also reduce pesticide use, which affects environmental sustainability. And you know, we, we, all, we, know, the, we know the value of that um, from a sustainability, in my opinion, is both financial, economic, and, and social. And so it affects all those things. Yeah, it's an interesting concept where you can take data of observations and be able to share that you know, somewhat anonymously in order to, um, yeah, especially pests that, that follow the, the GDU gradient. Uh, right, exactly. You know, in the Midwest, we get, uh, you know, cutworm. Uh, starts in Southern Illinois and makes its way up through Illinois, and you can watch it with the weekly maps or the daily maps that uh, uh, University of Illinois puts out as an example. And I'm sure there's several other, you know, states that have something similar, but occasionally, uh, you get a wind event or you get something else and it skips two counties yep. and all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, yikes. And, and you yep. catch it. And, you know, if you happen to catch it, then, then great. Um, but uh, if you don't, then, uh, you're, you're surprised and, and no one wins with the surprise. Right. But I, I think that's tremendous value that you have going on there. Uh, kind of in, you know, part three value proposition come. So, yep. um, yeah, very, very good. Um, what else do you see, you know, and, oh, and I, the other thing I love too is that you can, like you, you went through your future scenario, you know, product A, product B, this is the economic outcome, those kind of things. Then you automatically send that to Rantizo drones or to Gus autonomous sprayers and uh, magically it's done while you're having a coffee at the coffee shop, right? Exactly. And that's, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because we, we do work with Rantizo. Um, we love Michael and his team out there. Um, and so really the, the idea here again is to have this hub for pest and disease management. If you as a user are able to come to a treatment decision within FarmDog, we want to close that loop for you so that then you can tap a button that says, hey, this is what I want to do. Send that up to Rantizo, send that up to my dear sprayer. Um, whatever it may be. So with deer, for example, we actually received a $900,000 grant um, from a group called the Bird Foundation, which is a joint U.S.-Israeli um, grant program really to support U.S. and Israeli co-research and development. And so we've been working with them for about a year and a half. The idea is for our users to create a, a spray map within FarmDog, tap a button, send that up to John Deere, and then John Deere sprayers will, will spray. Um, based off what you want to do. Again, closing that loop. We don't want you to have to pick up the pick up the phone or whatever it may be um, to get that done. Did a similar work with uh, Rantizo actually on a uh, on a Brussels sprouts organic farm up in Wisconsin. We had a trial up there, which was also really really cool because we took one of our um, one of our users who had been using FarmDog to scout his fields. Obviously, asked him, "Hey, do you want to do you want to try this out with Rantizo?" He was very enthusiastic. Said yes. So. We pulled his field observations, turned that into a spray map, sent that spray map up to Rantizo. The Rantizo guys were out there on his uh, out there in his fields, and the drone sprayed based off of uh, based off what was found in the field. And so it was closing, 
closing the loop in a way that leverages what a lot of great companies are doing, right? We're not a drone company. Rantizo does that very well. Let's work together to, mm -hmm. to provide that, that solution for the grower. So um, one of the things that's interesting is let's, let's visit a little bit about that's the automation of the output, correct? Yep. Automation of the application or automation of the recommendation that's been generated via intelligence from, you know, um, map uh, pressure movement and uh, crop scouts and all the input sides that, that farm dog is doing. Let's talk a little bit more about how can we automate that input process. So uh, imagery, whether that comes from satellite, fixed wing or drone, yep. or um, one of the things I, I think that, that really hasn't received much uh, buzz, if you will, because drones are cool, right? Uh, <laughs> Um, I think, and uh, they have limited applications as you and I can, that's another podcast yep. <laughs> for the, the unpromises of drones, right. but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll pause, we'll, we'll put that on for another <laughs> time, but um, talk to us about how you see um, image, imaging as far as um, uh, sensors on equipment, uh, yep. so you know, Stout Ag and, and uh, Jeff Annell and the group out there uh, with Tenemer and Annell are really working on this. And there's other people in the veg space that are working on this. Blue River, that's what they yep. were about, was uh, imaging and, and, and being able to identify what plant is what. Um, talk about more of those automating the input process uh, right. for with sensing technology to create the essentially you're creating a uh, platform where eventually artificial intelligence will take over and say, yes, product A, spray, right. spray this 20% of this field, boom, go automation. Yeah. Uh, so talk about that input, that sensing side, where yeah, you see so, that going. So for, first, our, our hypothesis and vision for the future is that there will always be boots on the ground. Um, you know, we don't believe that, that you're going to get to a situation where the, where no human hand touches the field and it's, only robots and cameras and stuff. Um, that, that's kind of where we start with. Having said that, we know that it's not going to be like it is today where you've got these armies of agronomists going out to the fields and, and hoping to cover most of the fields. Um, it's going to be a, a, a hybrid of both of those. And from that, and, and we have we have the same problem with farmers' uh, age as we do with agronomists and PCA's age. Yep. I mean, it's uh, that they're they're aging out and uh, nobody replaced them, right? Right. So, yeah, it's a huge. They have to, what who is remaining has to be more efficient. Exactly. And from that aspect, as we take a look at not only the technologies that exist, but where we believe it'll go out, it'll it'll lead to. I I don't see one silver bullet, right? I see, I see. You know the robot. You know robot automated uh, vehicles in the field being one thing. I see sensors and, and looking sensors one looking thing. up into the canopy. Exactly. Right? And then you exactly. Got, uh, flyovers looking down in the looking canopy, down more of a, a three dimensional model of it. Exactly. Then don't forget the folks have to dig under you know into the root zone to see well, that. Who wants right? to do stuff like that? Right? <laughs> That's what we do every day. It's funny, some of our new, new customers, when we go out and we, we dig plants, you know, dig a corn plant, a tomato yeah. plant, uh, and, and show them the roots, what's going on. It's like, it's the first time anybody's ever brought a shovel into their field. Right. Uh, yep. it, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, yes, what's going on underground is extraordinarily <laughs> important. However, when we start digging pistachio trees, they get a little punchy. Uh, I can you know, understand. They're, they're a little, little more expensive than a penny a piece. So. <laughs> yes, I, I can understand that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, sorry. Go ahead. And so it's gonna, it's gonna have to be a lot of different solutions that are all really tough. Um, but the way we look at it, it's not one plus one plus one equals three with these solutions. It can be one plus one plus one equals ten, right? And so the way we look at it from Farm Dog, we want to first of all build out the platform that's the easiest to use for for a human. Um, for that person standing outside in the field when it's hot and muggy um, and to really pull in all those data layers, you know, it's a similar thing that you see happening in medicine and really across all the, all the industries that five, 10 years ago, people said, oh, it's going to be all artificial intelligence. People are realizing that, no, it's going to be this hybrid human or AI assisted human management. And so that's where we, that's, that's where we think this is all leading to now. From that aspect, 
you know, I, I, without knowing exactly where the future will lead to these, I think imagery, first of all, allow us folks, the main value prop that we're excited about is, hey, if you've got 10,000 acres and you've got two people scouting those fields, imagery is at least going to help you find out where you need to focus on. Um, those aren't going to be the only areas, right? Because there's things that imagery just doesn't see, but at least it can direct us to the, to the place that we need to be. Um, you know, weed pressure, I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about in terms of computer vision, um, where it's, uh, it's not simple, but it, it's a simple technology that says, is, you know, is this cotton? If not, kill it, right? Like it's, 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 a, it's very, um, it's much simpler in terms of the algorithms that you have to build. But at the end of the day, it's going to be the human. There's just, there's too many factors in, in nature, right? Let's just, you know, let's, let's take last year's Midwest, right? Let's assume you built out your machine learning AI model over that. Great. That was the wettest year on record is that or in however long is that going to help me do my automated stuff this year probably not <laughs> over mm -hmm. time we'll get smarter right but there are just so many variables that you're going to have to have that human that human interaction in there to to lead it well one of the things i really appreciate Laurent, about you your business and your approach is you're really looking for things that can be used today and uh, that create value today, uh, but you're you don't forget about where that long-term vision is. You know what what the point is that you're aiming for, and and, and you're you're a practical and, and realist, uh, realizing that there's going to be a lot of steps to get from point A to point B, and you know it's going to be different hybrids of technology and people and you know input output streams to to make that happen and yeah. i think so much in the ag tech is like you know not only the yield promises and cost saving promises but the, oh yeah we're going to be able to do you know all this and we'll have it done next year you know right. so yep. uh, typically uh, we we have a saying with the you know the ag tech is uh, you know it takes takes twice as long and take and is half as good as anything that's promised that's that factor you referred to at the beginning yep. so you know that i divide by two almost anything in some cases right. it's much worse but uh, yeah interesting how how this is all all coming together um and when you look at it so so far we've talked about you know really killing stuff right as look as far as uh pests and disease uh mm -hmm. protecting a crop Let's talk a little bit about where you could see uh, promoting life uh, yep. from from these kind of things. From uh, uh, let's say we have multiple species within a field, or uh, we know that we're able to quantify, um, you know, this kind of a growing condition, which means uh, ecosystem services credits from right. habitat for wildlife to carbon, uh, creating additional streams of revenue from observations. Because as a farmer growing produce, selling to a consumer, or growing almonds and selling to a consumer, I can say, hey, we had as minimal impact as possible, and here's the documentation that you can that right. you can see, and we can third party approve it. Uh, talk about other than the cost savings and and the yield improvements from doing good IPM. What are other uh, profit out outshoots that farmers could stand to gain from what you're doing? Yeah, I love that question because. You know, it's, it's a very kind of macroeconomic question that sometimes we, we, we lose track of. And I think that's really what's pulling a lot of this stuff forward. And I'll give just a few examples. Um, we've actually been in discussions with a few of the large uh, food cons and consumer packaged foods companies that are looking to figure out how to bolster their supply chain from a quote unquote sustainable aspect, right? And their challenge is they don't know what sustainable is, <laughs> right? Everybody loves to say, hey, let's have a sustainable food chain. Great. What does that mean? Does that mean that we, that we water less in order to save water this year? Or does that mean that we look at this in a 10-year percent, right? Like there, there's so many unknowns. And, you know, it's, for example, Indigo Ag's initiative, which is an amazing initiative. How do we quantify that in terms of the, in terms of the carbon sequestration? Right, and so there, there's a lot. It of, don't matter. It got a whole bunch of venture capital because of it. Like, <laughs> we're gonna save the earth, and I want to. Uh, I'm a uh, what do you call it? Investor, a uh, um, impact investor. Is that? Thank uh, you, thank yeah. you. I, I'm an impact investor. Yeah. Yay, here we go. Raise a billion dollars. 
so yeah, I mean, and and one, I'm all, I would much rather that scenario than the one where a billion dollars goes into you know improved marketing, uh, online marketing, right? But it's about right. the details. It's about okay, we we all the heart is there now. How do we how do we implement that? And to implement this, you need a lot of data. And the data, specifically with pest and disease management, doesn't exist today. And you know, it's it's funny because I this this is a metaphor I use with with investors. We're like, what do you mean the data doesn't exist? I'm like, give me twenty million dollars to find out the you know the fire blight outbreaks in upstate New York um, and apples from ten years ago. Give me twenty million dollars. The best I can do is go interview a hundred farmers and come back to you with a one-page executive summary that says ninety out of a hundred farmers remember ten years ago being a bad year. We can't do anything with that, right? That doesn't that doesn't push the needle forward in terms of becoming um, more informed in terms of treatment decisions. And so, the key for what we're doing is the way that the way that our users enter in their field observations into FarmDog is in what's called a standardized structured georeferenced way. That essentially means that it goes into a database that is that is utilizable for for whatever use the user would need it for. And so at the simplest level, we've had users um, really just print out their farm dog records as a proof of record of what they found in the field and then why they sprayed, right? And then they turn that into, you know, there, there's, there's different uh, sustainability certification programs around the country. And they use that as a proof of record, which is obviously much easier than, than showing them a journal of what was found. So that's, that's step one. But then over time, within the FarmDog platform, we can start to learn what is sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. And that means whether it means figuring out what the right economic thresholds actually are, right? Today, economic thresholds are, are built by a lot of really smart researchers, but it tends to be focused on the research facility at the land-grant university and like that, that research plot right there. You can go 400 miles away, still be in the same state, and they're still using those same economic thresholds. And so by virtue of how the data is input into FarmDog, we can start to learn about economic thresholds at a field level. So that then when our user goes into his or her FarmDog platform, we tell them, hey, hey, Farmer Johnny, you know, your whitefly threshold should be three whiteflies per plant, whereas in the past you were spraying the second you saw one whitefly per plant. Um, we can start to see if people sprayed when there's an actual risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, by looking at weather, by looking at historical data, by looking at what's going on in the region. If Farmer Johnny sprays, but we look around, we say, hey, there's no risk. Or let me rephrase, there's always a risk. The, the magnitude of the risk did not match with the spray event or the treatment event. No, hey, Johnny, let's, let's think about this and let's see how we can improve. And from that, from that perspective, you can imagine from a user perspective, one, it's again, that decision support system to help him or her become more sustainable. In terms of bottom line, why is that important? Because that's probably what the food companies are gonna start looking for, right? right. At the end of the day, the, when the consumer is saying, hey, food company, help me be sustainable, help me choose sustainable, mm -hmm. the food company is gonna have to push that down to, to the growers. And today it's very high level. Like, hey, grower, we want to see that you adopted some, you know, IPM policy. Over time, it's going to get more, it's going to get smarter, frankly, um, as folks learn and, more. And the farmer that starts today by collecting good information and, and, and over a period of time is going to be the person who can quantify that to that output person to receive yeah. that higher yep. premium of that product because that's what they're looking for. So that's right. That's right. It, it's, uh, it's all, um, it all works together. So. It all works together. And it's, you know, the, the way I look at it is I call, you know, we, we I'm, most, I'm guessing most of the people on, on that listen to this post, podcast understand that organic may not necessarily still be the best thing for, <laughs> for the soil, right? You're still using pesticides. They just happen to be natural pesticides, but I don't want to drink a glass of sulfur, you know, if you could, right? That's, even though it's sure. naturally occurring. Um, and you have the intensive tillage for weed control. That, exactly. It's just hard yep. to, uh, hard to get around. So, right. Exactly. And so, so for me, the way for me, organic is, I call it organic version 1.0. 
in the next few years, I wouldn't be surprised if we see organic version 2.0, which actually takes into account, you know, hey, the conventional grower may actually be more sustainable than the traditional organic guy because a conventional grower mm -hmm. only sprayed once when there was a huge risk to his or her crops, whereas the organic guy is, you know, doing a whole lot of different things. And so, you know, it's one of those things where I don't expect farm dog to, you know, I don't expect there to be a farm dog certification stamp when you go into the grocery store in a couple of years. Um, that's not necessarily a farm dog's position or role, but I would expect that the certifications start to change. Um, from a from an industry perspective, interestingly, also in in Europe, the New England Farm Bill, the pr the proposal in there, has links environmental sustainability initiatives to payouts. In Europe, a, a, a it's I think like the the you know the EU's um, audit board or something recommended that the EU Farm Bill or the farm bill equivalent does the same. And so you talked about different, um, different conservation um, payments and subsidies. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the US as well, in Canada, um, frankly, around the world, you're gonna start getting that push to, okay, if you want, if you want to get, get payments for whatever payment program you're working with, we wanna make sure that you, we wanna see that you are being sustainable and we have to define sustainable some way. Yes, a farmer does a lot more than just raise a crop. Exactly. Uh, they, they provide, uh, there's a varying degrees of value in the crop that they raise and a value in the societal ecosystem and, and services just by being in uh, control of large acreage. So, yep. uh, you know, a way to reward them um, is um, you reward people, they do the, do the right thing and do the right. things that uh, is best for everybody. So yep. that's exciting stuff. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to ask for a shameless plug here for the Ag Emerge com Conference. Uh, we didn't rehearse this ahead of time, but uh, just wondered what your, uh, what your thoughts were on the, on the conference. And uh, also wanted to congratulate you for being a winner in our um, uh, pitch competition there for the uh, company most likely to improve uh, uh profitability on farm yep. so congratulations for that and I, I appreciate you being able to be there and participate but uh, just what's your thoughts uh, for other ag tech entrepreneurs or farmers that are considering to attending ag emerge from from what you experienced yep and thank you all th not only on the podcast but thank you all for having me having me there uh, I guess it was a month and a half ago or so from my perspective it was one of the most valuable conferences I've been to um, the reason being is it was just such an amazing mix of folks within agriculture who are thinking along the regenerative angle and and not necessarily not the great thing about nobody was saying hey this is the right way or this is the right the wrong way everybody was there to learn from each other and folks were there to learn on different practices that have worked for other folks um, to think about what they could adopt on their on their fields and their land and for for me, it was it was exciting for a few reasons. One, just getting getting access and and speaking with growers who have that mindset, um, just a mindset of okay, let's let's take a look at how we're growing things. And like you just said, Monty, it's we're not just growing a crop. We're we're part of this larger ecosystem. Um, let's figure out how we can grow the crop profitably, right? Obviously, but at the same time, be be a good steward of not only our land but of of the the world around us, so that that was invigorating and exciting. Um, the second aspect is, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, we got a, or I I got a lot of just candid feedback on what we're doing, um, in terms of hey this will work because to hey this won't work because, which is also incredibly valuable and, you know, for, for me that's the most valuable. It's just having these open conversations and I think just the folks who are there were great. Well, good. We we appreciate that. That's that's what we really wanted to do was um, help connect uh, ag tech entrepreneurs like you with with farmers who are looking for for solutions and ways to create more value. So, gosh, what a win win when you can be there and 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 farmers can be there to to make that happen. So, uh, we really 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 appreciate that. So, um, 
also, you know, in general, Kim, I'm sorry, I, I hogged the whole show here today. I, I was just having way too much fun. I didn't even get, give you a chance to get much of a word in, in edgewise there. I, I no. can see you uh, on the web conference here. You're, you're smiling ear to ear and just I can see your head's ready to explode with what all the possibilities are. Any, any thoughts or final questions here before we wrap up? Well, I am excited to see the historical data being collected. I feel like the devil's in the details. And when you give that real-time opportunity to gather that information when it's happening, that's what I see as key because having come from an ag software background in my previous life, knowing the ability to be able to collect that data in a timely manner, in a way that it can be useful is so important. Yep. And to have that historical information, you know, we all think we'll remember, but you summarized it really well, LaRon, when you said you could interview those hundred farmers about what happened 10 years ago and they can say, yeah, there was an event 10 years ago, but we can't quantify what that event was. Right. And so that's what I see is there's just huge value in that. And so kudos. Uh, it's exciting to see. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you being here, Laurent. Anything else we missed or you want to insert before we, we part ways? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give farm dog a shameless plug. Um, oh, please and, do. <laughs> since the beginning of the year. Uh, well, let me back up. Our, as I mentioned, our goal is really to, to build a product or a platform that is incredibly easy for folks to use out in the field to save you time, improve your communication so that our users can focus on what they do best, which is making the decisions out in the field, um, the fields that they know best. Um, and from that aspect, we were really honored this past, call it just the last month and a half, um, to get a few awards that I think just reflect what we built out. One was, of course, Monty at, at, the, at the Ag Emerge Conference um, that you had mentioned. We're also in the last month, we're named a top nine app you cannot farm without by agriculture.com and a top 20, ag top 20 agriculture app for 2020 and beyond by CropLife. And for Excellent. us, that recognition from the industry itself is, is really the best recognition we can get. Um, and it's just kind of a testament to, to my team's work over the last year and a half or so of really coming into this next generation of what FarmDog is and will be. And from that aspect, all of the, all the folks listening, you can sign up for a free trial. Um, on farmdog.ag or download us from the from the Apple or Android store. Uh, start a free trial, and we're also happy to demo this with anybody who is interested. Um, and really, we just our best users are the folks that we have an open line of communication with, and they give us feedback because that's the only way that we improve. So that that's the Farmdog plug, and um, I really really thank you all for uh, for having me both at the Ag Emerge Conference and on the podcast. Excellent. Well, we appreciate your time, Laurent, and we wish you the best success as you keep uh, providing uh, opportunities for farmers to improve what we do every day. Thank you all much. You know, it's exciting to see growers come together with these entrepreneurs and help offer ideas and valuable insight into real-world needs as we're working to build soil health. And I appreciate how companies like FarmDog and people like Laurent want to hear what growers have to say. That's the cool thing about the Ag Emerge event. It's that connection, bringing together all these folks in the same space. And from all accounts, it seems to be working. And well, that's just what makes this thing a whole lot of fun too. We hope you found some useful information today on the podcast, and we look forward to bringing you more guests who are busting out of that old egg paradigm. Thanks for joining us today. Make it a great day. 